Good morning, everyone. Our reading this morning comes from Psalm 63. Um, and you can um, either follow along on the screens or um, in, the, in the news sheet, um, which um, you might have received when you're coming in. Psalm 63. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. Those who want to kill me will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God will glory in him, while the mouths of liars will be silenced. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Sally, and good morning, everyone. My name's Nat Rosner. I'm the Senior Assistant Minister here, and I'm really looking forward to digging into Psalm 63 with you. As Sally said, the passage is in the news sheet, and there's also an outline of the talk there as well, if you'd like to follow along. I've mentioned before, I think, that I was born in South Africa. When I was five, my family emigrated from there to Sydney in Australia. And we left behind lots of family and friends. Almost all our family was still over there. And so that meant that through my childhood and as a teenager, we pretty regularly flew back to South Africa for holidays. They were always summer holidays, and I have really great memories of those summer holidays, kind of like rose-coloured glasses memories, probably. There were so many things that I loved about those holidays. I loved seeing family and friends. Mostly, you know how those kinds of things go. Uh, but there were lots of other things I loved. I really loved getting off the plane and smelling the smell of Africa as we walked across the tarmac from the plane to the terminal. I loved the food that we got to eat. I loved eating buravos and millipup and biltong and maltabella. I tried to make Maltabella recently and it was awful. Either I did it wrong or my memories really are a little rose-coloured. I loved some of the places that we got to go. I loved being able to hike in the Drakensberg Mountains, being able to visit the Cape. 
I also loved people's responses to my gorgeous Aussie accent when they expected me to still sound like a little South African. On one of our trips, we visited Namibia where I had some relatives, my aunt and uncle and cousins. And on that trip, we drove from Vintuk to Walfus Bay and Swakopmund, which are on the coast, as you can see there. And that meant we had to drive through the Namib Desert. It's that really long, skinny yellow bit there on the map on the western coast of Namibia. It's a really interesting desert in that kind of long, narrow strip. And I have really clear memories of driving through there. It was incredibly dry, dry beyond belief. There was sand everywhere. At one point, we stopped at a dry salt pan and we picked up little desert roses like this. They're formed naturally after rain, sand and kind of salt crystals collect together as evaporation happens really quickly. We also stopped at a really famous sand dune and we trekked to the top. It was kind of a massive climb and then slid down to the bottom. But my overwhelming memory is of dry, dry sand for kilometre after kilometre. There, there is some wildlife there. Uh, there are a really few people who live there. But overwhelmingly, it was deserted. And uh, we just were on this long road from one side of this desert to the other. There was real beauty and novelty for us as travellers in this Namib desert. But trying to live there would have been a completely different story, almost impossible. That desert is the image that comes to mind for me when I read this psalm, when I read in verse 1 about a dry and parched land where there is no water. We see from the heading of the psalm that King David wrote it when he was in a desert. He was in the desert of Judah. He was literally in a dry and parched land. We don't know exactly why he was there, although it's clear from verse 9 and from verse 11 that his life was in danger. There were lying enemies who wanted to kill him. So maybe he sought refuge in the desert for safety. Some writers think this psalm refers to the time when David's son Absalom was conspiring against David, wanting to usurp King David and become king himself. And David certainly did flee from Absalom into the wilderness at that time. You can read a little bit more about that if you'd like to in 2 Samuel 15 to 17. But whatever the specific reason, Psalm 63 is really clear about King David's circumstances. He's in the dry and parched land of the desert of Judah and his life is in danger. In that context, we see three things about King David's response. First of all, we see him longing for God when life is hard. Secondly, we see him remembering God when life is hard. And thirdly, we see that he has hope for the future when life is hard. So first of all, longing for God when life is hard. In that desert with his life in danger, King David cries out to God, you God are my God. Earnestly I seek you, I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. So David compares his physical need for water in the desert 
to his spiritual need for God. The difficulty of his circumstances are mirrored in his soul. Perhaps you also have sometimes faced desert experiences of the soul. There are certainly times in my life where this psalm has especially resonated for me. When I felt that I've been living in a spiritually dry and parched land with no water. For King David, this particular dark night of the soul comes as we've seen because his life is in danger. But for us, these experiences might come for other reasons. Perhaps for you through personal challenges. Maybe relationships haven't worked out the way that you had hoped they would. Maybe your work life has been disappointing. Maybe you struggle with feeling lonely. Maybe you feel hurt by other people or by life. Maybe you're grappling with identity issues around sexuality or gender. Maybe you've experienced grief over the the death of a loved one. Maybe your heart has broken because of struggles in the lives of people you love, your children maybe, maybe your parents. Maybe you long for people you love to commit their lives to Jesus. Maybe your life story hasn't followed the narrative that you had hoped and expected for. Maybe there are bigger picture worries at play. Maybe as you hear about the challenges around Indigenous reconciliation, the difficulties of climate change, maybe as you hear about wars around around the world, you feel overwhelmed with grief and sorrow. Maybe you have big questions about God and Jesus. When have you felt like you're living in a dry and parched land where there is no water? And what do you do when you feel like that? We have choices about how we respond. Sometimes I think we bury these desert experiences. We are busy or we kind of shove them down, deny that's how we're feeling. Sometimes we actively run away from God. We blame him or we feel angry with him. Sometimes we just drift away because it all feels too hard. King David made a different choice. He turned to God. He cried out to God. And there are two things to notice in particular about the way in which King David cried out to God. First of all, he cries out to the God he knows personally. Did you notice in verse 1, you God are my God. King David belongs to God, not by just by creation, but by covenant. The same is true for us. Yes, we are all created by God. But even more than that, by the new covenant, sealed by the blood of Jesus as we trust in him, the living God is our God. We are his people. So when life is hard, we can cry out to our God, personally, earnestly, We can cry out our longing for God just as David did. It's so evocative, isn't it? Listen again to verse one. You God are my God, earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you, 
My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I've never been in a desert without enough water, but it's a life-threatening situation if that happens. And the same desperation of that physical need fills David's cry to God with his spiritual need. He longs for God as if his life depends on him. And it does. We hear that same longing as Jesus cries out to the God he knows personally at the most desperate moments of his life. In the Garden of Gethsemane, just before Jesus' death, he said to Peter, James and John, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, he cried out to God, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And again, as he hung on the cross, remember that cry from Jesus, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This prayer is a quote from Psalm 22. And in that Psalm, the cry of longing is made even more explicit. Do not be far from me. A cry of longing for God to be with him. So when life is hard for us, Psalm 63 invites us to cry out to God with this longing that King David shows us, with the longing of Jesus. God invites us to pray to him. God, my God, where are you? I seek you. I thirst for you. I long for you. I don't know about you, but when I'm really struggling with things, I often find it really difficult to pray. So I've found praying the words of a psalm like this sometimes really helpful. But sometimes even that's too hard. When I really have no words left, when I feel overwhelmed by something that I'm grieving over, I've found Christian music, particular Christian songs, can be really helpful for me in reaching out to God. There's a song called In the Valley that I found really helpful, and I'll share it in our Facebook group a little bit later. Having expressed to God his longing for him, King David doesn't stop there. He goes on to remember satisfying experiences with God in the past. I don't know about you, but remembering is such an important part of life, isn't it? My husband, Brian, has many good qualities, and one of them is that he takes great photos and also that he then curates them into digital albums. Like most people on my phone, I just have this muddle of photos of all sorts of different things, something from the supermarket I wanna buy, uh, holiday photos, and to find anything, I have to do this frantic scrolling. But Brian, every time we go on holidays, takes our photos and makes an album for that particular holiday. So anytime afterwards, we can look back at our collection of photos and enjoy them. You can ask to see them at your own peril if you like. Our photos are great reminders. They remind me of places we've been together, of people we've spent time with, of people who are, are significant to me. My current relationships are strengthened as I'm reminded of things we've done together in the past. The same is true here for King David. 
in his current difficult circumstances, he spends time in this psalm remembering who God is, remembering how he has found satisfaction in God in the past. First of all, David recalls how he's seen God in the sanctuary in the past. And then he describes his current practice of remembering God through the night. Of course, since David is in the desert at the moment, he can't go to the sanctuary anymore. He can't gather with God's people. And so remembering that is all that he can do. The sanctuary here refers to the tabernacle, the tent that God had set apart to be the place where his people would gather together in worship of him. It was a place we see here where David saw God, not God physically, but where he saw the power and glory of God as he gathered with the people of God, perhaps in the praises of the people as they gathered in worship. The sanctuary was also where the Ark of the Covenant was placed in the Holy of Holies. And there were three things in the Ark of the Covenant. There was a gold jar of manna, there was Aaron's staff, which had budded, and the stone tablets of the covenant. You can read a bit more about that in Hebrews 9. The ark was the symbol of the covenant of the agreement that God had made with his people Israel. It was a symbol of the way that he had provided for them in the wilderness. And it was a symbol of his leadership of them. All of this means the ark of the covenant represented God's presence with his people. It represented God's love for his people. And so the sanctuary reminded King David that God's love is better than life. As David remembers God, he praises him. Verse three, because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. If God is powerful, if God is glorious, if God's love is better than life, there is so much good reason to praise him. Better than life is a huge claim about God's love, isn't it? It means that as David faces the possibility of his own death, he can continue to praise God because he, know God, he knows God loves him and God loves his people. All of this is wrapped up in a really beautiful image in verse five. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. When I think about food and eating in our culture, there are lots of ways we enjoy food. There are lots of ways we kind of struggle with food, aren't there? Some, some of us eat too much. Uh, some people in our word, world don't have enough food. Sometimes we eat rubbishy food. Sometimes we go on crazy health kicks. There are so many ways that we get tangled up with food. But perhaps you can remember a special meal that was delicious and satisfying and just the right amount. Imagine being fully satisfied as with the richest of foods by God's love, delighted by God's love, filled up by God's love, content in God's love even in the deserts of life. David is sustained in the desert by his memory of gathering with God's people, seeing the power and glory of God, knowing God's love. We don't gather in that same way in the sanctuary of the tabernacle with the Ark of the Covenant. But we know Jesus. 
the God who offers each of us living water to quench our thirst, the one who satisfies because he is the bread of life. And we gather with God and his people here every Sunday, our brothers and sisters in Christ. We're reminded of who God is, of his plan for salvation as we read the Bible, as we pray together, as we sing his praises together, as God speaks through his people to us. We're reminded that as we gather, God is with us by his spirit. We're reminded of God's love as we hear about Jesus' birth, his life, his death and his resurrection as we share together in communion each month. We're reminded of God's love for us by the love of our brothers and sisters in Christ for us as we talk together, as we eat together, as we listen to each other, as we pray together, as we cry together, as we help each other through the week. Church isn't just a weekly meeting, an appointment we go to. Church is who we are, the gathering of God's people, followers of Jesus, to be with God, to be with each other, so that we see and hear God's power, God's glory, his love for us in each other, in his word, as his spirit does his work. And so as we gather, we sing praises to God, We glorify God, we lift our hands to honour him. And so our souls are satisfied. May God be doing that work in us as we gather together each week. So David remembers God when life is hard by remembering God in the sanctuary. In the same way, remembering God in our gatherings together can sustain us when life is hard as well. But that's not the only way that King David remembers God. Even in the desert, David can remember God by himself. We see in verse six, on my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Now, if you're a solid sleeper, this might not resonate with you. But I can really relate to this. Mostly I sleep fine, but there are regular nights where I'm awake for significant periods of time and where my mind can wander anywhere. It's a good time for remembering. It's a good time for remembering God, remembering his word, remembering his work in our lives. As David remembers, he's reminded that God is his help in verse seven, that as he clings to God, God sustains him in verse eight. And so again, he sings in the shadow of God's wings. What a beautiful image of a mother bird, of the warmth and protection and provision that her wings provide for her babies. I wonder how you remember God's work in your life. Because we forget easily, don't we? We don't usually have photos of the way God has worked in our life to remind us. And our lives are filled with busyness, with people, with screens, with commitments. We move from one thing to the other. There's something to be said for sleeplessness if it directs our mind to God's work in our lives. And even if you do sleep well, this psalm is an encouragement to carve out time to remember God personally when life is hard. It helps me when I make time to remember God. It helps me when I remember the times that God has provided for both me and my husband Brian in different ministry opportunities over the years. 
It helps me when I remember significant health challenges that family members have gone through in the past and desperate prayers that we prayed for years, half expecting that nothing would ever change. And now things have changed and our loved ones are healthier than ever. It helps me, remember, uh, helps me when I remember relationships that had broken down and broken-hearted prayers for those. And when I see God's answer in restored relationships today. Not all of our prayers have been answered, not yet. We still pray desperate and at times broken-hearted prayers. But God has been my help. I have clung to him and his right hand has upheld me. I'm always blown away when I make space to remember how God has answered prayers in our lives, in my life. It leads me to praise and thank him and it strengthens me in new deserts. My prayer is that that is also your experience and that you keep making time to remember God, to remember his work in your life. So brothers and sisters, when life is hard, let's be people who join David in longing for God, in remembering God. And finally, let's be people who find hope for the future when life is hard. Despite his perilous situation, there's a really dramatic change of vibe in the last section of this psalm. David concludes on a confident note from verse 9. Those who want to kill me will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God will glory in him, while the mouths of liars will be silenced. It's a really victorious note, isn't it? It's a prediction that the enemies of King David will themselves be killed that they'll die in battle and not even be properly buried. It sounds so harsh to our ears, doesn't it? But the reality of the king's predicament was a battle for his life. Verse 11 concludes with the king rejoicing in God, with all those who trust in God glorying in him. And with the mouths of liars, those who don't know the God of Israel, the living God, silenced. David rejoices in the prospect of a, a victorious battle. If you read about Absalom's uprising about King against King David in 2 Samuel, you'll see that King David did indeed win that battle. Absalom and many of his men were killed. But this psalm is about much more than the enemies of King David. It's an interesting psalm to read in our current Western culture, I think. Our culture tells us that we should be seeking a good life, fun, fulfillment, family, friends, fitting in, flourishing, all of those things are the picture that our culture presents to us. And they're all good things, but they're not guaranteed. Life doesn't roll out like that for all of us or really for any of us all of the time. And I'm not convinced about a worldview that makes those things its center and its goal. Trying to hide from hardship and prioritize pleasure just doesn't work. This psalm offers us a more accurate picture, something way more fulfilling. 
as we walk through our own desert experiences, God doesn't promise us victory now. And as we read this psalm with our own struggles in mind, the battle behind all of them is a spiritual one, not a physical one. Our chief enemy is Satan with his weapons of sin and death. So our desert experiences, our struggles, our griefs come either directly or indirectly because of Satan and the battle he wages against God and against our world. But even though we each face different deserts and will always carry some battle wounds, we can join David in confidently rejoicing in the prospect of ultimate victory. Because of the Lord's love for us, Christ died for our sins. He was buried, he was raised on the third day, conquering sin and death. The ultimate victory has been won and we praise God for it now, even as we wait to experience it fully. That will happen when Jesus returns. 1 Corinthians 15 paints a picture. The trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable. We will be changed, then the saying that is written will come true. Death will have been swallowed up in victory. As Paul reflects on some of his battle wounds in 2 Corinthians 4, he describes himself as being hard-pressed, perplexed, persecuted, struck down, carrying around in his body the death of Christ. But in verse 14, he, he declares that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus. And then he concludes with this beautiful confidence that echoes the end of Psalm 63. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. This is a really different narrative to the one that our world presents, but I find it really compelling in the way that it makes sense of my experience of life, of both the joys and the challenges. So brothers and sisters, even though he has been defeated, Satan will continue to wage his battle against us until Jesus returns. Because of that, we will all face desert experiences of the soul. Whatever yours look like, let me encourage you to make sure that you cry out to God in longing for him when life is hard. Make sure you remember God when life is hard. Remember that his love is better than life. And when life is hard, fix your eyes on the hope that we have for the future, the eternal glory that far outweighs all of our current troubles, the eternal glory that we will experience when Jesus returns. Why don't we pray? God, we thank you so much that you reach out to us in your word. We thank you for this Psalm of King David. And God, we thank you that you love us. We thank you for your power and glory. And we thank you for the way we see your love and your power and your glory in Jesus, in his life, in his death for us on the cross, in his resurrection and his ascension. Thank you, God, for the hope that we have of seeing you face to face when Jesus returns. 
God, please sustain us when we face difficulties in our lives. Help us to reach out to you. Help us to remember you. Help us to hope in you. And we pray in the victorious name of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.